Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, guys. Welcome to the end of Season 4. There will be an intermission episode next week, and then Season 5 will begin on December 15th. Hope you enjoy the season finale. If you really enjoy it, consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash woe underscore begone. We have all that stuff I always talk about. Early episodes and instrumentals and cat clips and director's commentaries. A Q&A is going up the day that this episode is made public on the feed. Come see all there is to see. Thank you so much to the over 100 patrons that have supported the show, a milestone we just reached. Thanks especially to my 10 newest patrons, Kelly, Michael Larson, Lady Nikita, John Grills, Duke, Ryan Bank, Courtney Boyer, Sarah G, Logan Cheshire, and Ratton Cameron for supporting the show. Enjoy. Warning. This episode contains a description of violence. Listener discretion is advised. It was darkly exhilarating, getting ready, waiting for night to come, cleaning and checking guns, packing bags with weapons and ammo. 
We re-listened to the recording that I had made for Edgar. I cringed, hearing my own voice, hearing what I had deemed important to say in those moments. I remember being filled to the brim with things that I needed to tell Edgar. I was barely able to get out what was overflowing before I was cut off and made to give him instructions. It had been months since I had any real human connection, and here I was being teased with the connection that I longed for the most. They cut the parts where I faltered, at least for Edgar's version of the message. They cut the moments where I told him not to follow instructions that I was giving him, where I told him not to kill anyone, where I mentioned that I was giving these instructions against my will. What remained could be boiled down to, I love you. You have to do what I'm telling you to do or you will never see me again. I found myself angry all over again at the Flinchites, at Ty. They hid their willingness to manipulate me behind a facade of being businesslike and polite, by promising me my eventual freedom as long as I cooperated. They made the whole affair sound transactional. I cooperated and still got hurt. I wasn't freed from my efforts. Someone else had to free me from them. We based our plan off of the Flinchites' plan. The message that I recorded instructed Edgar to be at a certain stage of the plan at a certain time. Enter Tier 2 at 11pm sharp. Exit the warehouse with the device at 11.19. Enter the region with the boulders and the device port at 11.26. Activate the device at exactly 11.45. This gave us an idea of what was expected of us and when an ambush might occur. The Flinchites wanted the device activated at a certain time, which meant that the Arbiters would show up at that time in order to intercept the proceedings. We determined this moment, during the last stage of the instructions, to be the most likely opportunity for the Arbiters to attempt to kill Edgar and steal the device or otherwise fulfill their plans. It was hard, trying to fill in the motivations of the two groups in conflict here. The Flinchites did not want to simply lure out the Arbiters. If they did, they would only have to pretend to send the message to Edgar, which is what they told me would happen when I recorded the message. Then the Arbiters would show up with no device to be found. The Flinchites actually needed the device for their own purposes, which meant that they needed Edgar, because he could enter the warehouse in 116E and retrieve it for them. My connection to Edgar had provided the perfect opportunity for them to get what they want and to take out a rival faction in the process. This is how we came to assume that Edgar was most likely to be killed after completing the stated mission, or at least getting close to doing so, having put the ball into the end zone, so to speak. Combining those presumptions with the warning that Edgar would be thrust into the situation with or without his consent, the three of us concluded that the best course of action would be to act out the plan as dictated to us until we got to the instructions pertaining to the boulders. We would enter through 116E, retrieve the device, and exit the warehouse at the predicted time. We thought that would keep everything marginally under our control, even if that control was limited by doing as we were told. Strength in numbers would ensure that, even if things went wrong, the three of us would be capable of setting things back on track, together. Unfortunately, everything else was entirely up in the air. Anne suggested coming up with a detailed plan anyway. Things might change on the way there, in which case we would change our trajectory, but if we weren't there with a purpose, we were asking to be picked off while we were wandering around inside of Tier 2 figuring out what to do. We decided to place the device in front of the port in the boulder region and then get the hell out of there. The port was damaged beyond repair, so putting the device there was as far as we could take the instructions. The Flinchites could worry about what happened next, intercepting the Arbiters for their own purposes. We hoped this would be enough. It was a future iteration of Anne that had me destroy the port. We trusted her to know what she was doing. She wouldn't have instructed me to do so if she had any doubt. This is what we told ourselves. With no more instructions left, we hoped that Edgar would be free to leave. If not, we would have to improvise. 
There was no way to plan for every contingency of what was coming, even if we assumed that there would be a linear temporality to it all, which was not a safe assumption. We poured over the message again and again. We made maps of where everything was, what could be hidden behind, where patrols normally were, how likely any of them were to be close enough to hear gunfire and respond to it. We mentally steeled ourselves against what might happen. The clock struck eleven. I tricked the lock open on the front door of 116E. It beeped and unlocked. I pulled open the door. Anne, Edgar, and I stepped inside. This is Woebegone. Edgar said as he put the code into the door that led into the 116E warehouse and out into Tier 2 and opened it. It feels like going to work, but technically I think it might legally be treason. Most of the best things in life are, I've found, I replied. Edgar turned on his flashlight, using it to direct us down the hallway and into the warehouse. He led us into the back, navigating the place with a sense of confidence that I lacked. I had never seen the warehouse or the hallway that connected it to the main building of 116E in the day or with the lights on. My image of it was always incomplete, marred by black spots that my flashlight had never reached into, my brain filling in gaps with what I expected based on every hallway and warehouse I had ever been in. Edgar had seen these places lit up more times than he could count. He probably had dreams of walking down those halls, just as I had dreams about walking my patrol route. He ushered us into the warehouse and shut the door behind us, at which point the rest of us turned our flashlights on. I looked around the warehouse, shining my flashlight out into the darkness. It found only darkness and not the side wall of the warehouse. The warehouse was larger than I ever had reason to explore. When I had passed through it, it was always with the intention of getting to Tier 2 on the other side. I never had time or knowledge enough to go through the storage and see if there was anything that I could use in there. I assumed correctly in my opinion, that most of the tools in the storage pertained to technology that I did not understand nor have access to. I looked at the rows of objects stretching out before us. Fuck, that's a lot of storage bays, I said. How are we supposed to find the right one? 65N, Anne said. It said 65N in the recording. Do you know where that is, Edgar? Kind of? There's a system to everything, but I've never had to work with any of it before at the front desk. N is a classification, but I don't know what the different letters correspond to. They should be in alphabetical order, though, so, uh, this way. He gestured with his flashlight. We followed him. What is all of this stuff, Edgar? I asked as we walked. Interfacing materials. None of this is allowed inside of Tier 1, so people traveling into Tier 2 that need these tools can check them out for however long they need. It's for people visiting from other high-security sites and employees being trained for Tier 2, mostly though sometimes Tier 3 rents out stuff when they need it. There's an extensive database of who signed in and what they took and how many minutes and seconds they were inside of Tier 2, assuming that you get it the legal way, of course. 
I don't suppose that this thing with 65N will be returned to its bay when we're done with it, which is going to be a paperwork headache when someone notices, he said. He came to a stop. All right, we're here. 65N, up there. He shone his flashlight upward. There was a storage bay labeled 65N, four bays up. Each bay was around five feet tall, so the bottom of bay 65N was 15 feet up in the air. Well, Mikey, get to climbing, Anne said. I couldn't see her face in the dark, but I could feel her grinning at me. Kind of hard to climb with, you know, this. I gestured at my weak hand, and then my left arm, and then my back. With this, you know, everything, I guess. Edgar turned to Anne. You want to help? We can get this done faster if I have an extra set of hands up there. Sure, it might be a good warm-up for me, Anne said, making circles with her shoulders in preparation. With that, they both began climbing up the metal frame of the storage bays, grabbing onto the bar that constituted the floor of the bay, and then pulling their body weight up and over into the bay. They had to do this three separate times to get to 65 in. With their lights pointed away from me and into the storage bay, I could barely see them. Just as they arrived at bay 65 in, I saw a glint out of the corner of my eye, back the way that we came from. I jolted and turned in time to see a distant flashlight. Psst! There's someone here! Hide! I whisper-shouted to them, the quiet but reverberant warehouse amplifying my voice. Edgar and Anne went silent and turned their flashlights off. I turned my light off and scurried into the bay on the floor below them, putting as many boxes as I could between myself and the main floor of the warehouse. A minute or so later, the light was upon us. I watched hopelessly as the light poured over the bay two away from me, then the bay beside me, and then ultimately in the bay that I was hiding in. My shadow projected sideways and out from behind the bay. I had been spotted. Put your hands up and get on the fucking ground now, a voice said authoritatively. I have instructions to kill anyone who doesn't cooperate. Come out with your hands up and get on the ground immediately. My heart sunk into my stomach. He knew I was there. The best that I could hope for now is that he didn't know that Anne and Edgar were above me, and I could provide a useful distraction. I came out with my hands up, tripping over a pallet for good measure, skidding onto my knees as I fell out into the main floor of the warehouse. I looked up into the light. It was bright, and I couldn't tell who was pointing it at me. Holy crap, it's Mike, the voice said. He lowered his light and his weapon. I got a better look at him. Hunter Jeremiah Hartley, of course it was. Hunter? I squeaked. What are you doing here, Mike? He asked. I tried to see his face in the darkness. The scar on his face appeared fresh. This was Innocent Hunter. I suspected as much. I could ask the same thing, I replied. They assigned me to Tier 2 patrol tonight, he explained. Something happened here last night, so they put some trainees on extra shifts. They didn't tell me the details. I might have had something to do with that, I muttered. That's not important. I'm here because Edgar's in danger. There's something going on at the boulders tonight, and it ends badly as long as we don't do anything. People from outside over. Maybe even lots of people. I can explain everything. Do you trust me? Mike, of course I don't trust you, he said. So you better have a great explanation. I wouldn't be assigned out here if something wasn't going on. You're gonna have to tell me everything that you know, and then we can talk about trust. He shined his flashlight up toward the bay that Edgar and Anne were hiding in. Is that, uh, Edgar up there? He asked me. Yeah, we had to get something from the storage bay, I explained. You can come down. It's Hunter Hartley, I said, my barely above conversational volume sounding like a shout in the warehouse. I heard the zipping of a backpack, and then Anne and Edgar climbed back down. The device was secured. Step one was complete. The four of us stood in a circle in front of the bay where I had been hiding. I anxiously looked at my watch. We were on a tight schedule. Hi, Hunter, 
Edgar said. He knows me from the front desk, Edgar explained to me. Yeah, I know Edgar here from training, Hunter said. I knew he was your boyfriend too, but I guess I've never really seen you two together until now. He turned to Anne and extended his hand. Hunter Jeremiah Hartley, pleased to meet you. Anne accepted the handshake. Anne, she said. She blushed. I was confused. Anne had told Charlie that she had met Hunter when we were at the front gate together, and that had confused me as well. I had no recollection of that happening, and Charlie didn't seem to either. Then Anne seemingly knew the night guard Troy's name, which as far as I knew, she didn't have a reason to know. And now she was introducing herself to Hunter as though they had never met, which is what I thought was the truth, except for what she had said at the gate. There was no time to interrogate her about this, though. The clock was ticking. I would have to file it away for later. I explained the situation in broad strokes to Hunter. Edgar had been forced into a dangerous plot, much like Hunter had been with 357A, and it could be even from the same people, but none of us were sure yet, and there was a set of instructions that was leading us into a trap, but we didn't have much choice as the alternative was worse, which we knew from future intel. The standoff would be happening at the boulders, we were on a timer, and in a few minutes we would need to make our way there. Hunter looked at us in silence for a moment, studying us, thoughtful. He took a deep breath. And this is one of those objectives that Over can't ever know about, right? He asked. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind, I said. The less they know, the better. We've done a few of those, Hunter said, more recently. They tell me that I go on to do a lot of them. I get it. You've got the right guy for the job. He did the zipped lips motion with the fingers across his lips. And I know better than to get in Mike Walter's way, not with what I know about you. So I guess I'm along for the ride. Let's get to it. Edgar looked impatient. I hate to spoil this moment, but this moment seems to be taking a while, and we've got a minute and 15 seconds. At least if we want to exit the warehouse on time, so let's move, he said. We walked briskly to the back of the warehouse and over to the door with only a few seconds to spare. Well, they're my instructions, so I guess I'll do the honors, Edgar said. He looked at me, and then at the door, looked at his watch, took a deep breath, and opened the door just as the time on his watch read 11.17 and 0 seconds. He stepped through the open doorway. Immediately as he stepped through the door, his flashlight went out. I couldn't see him anymore. A shot rang out from close range. I heard the gunfire and the report of the bullet against the metal of the warehouse door in quick succession. I couldn't see Edgar. I couldn't tell if he was still in the doorway. I didn't know if he had been hit. Instinctively, I headed for the door. I had been standing several feet back from it when Edgar opened it. Anne put her arm out to hold me back. She quickly took off her backpack and handed it to me. It was the bag that the device from the warehouse was in. Hold this over your head and get on the fucking ground, Anne said. I tried to take another step forward, not fully processing what she was telling me. She grabbed my left arm and pulled me to the ground. I winced in pain at having my still-wounded arm jerked around like that. Get on the fucking ground, Mike! You don't have a weapon! There's no point in standing in the way unless you want to be a meat shield. Sorry about your arm. Stay down. I did as I was told, putting the bag over my head to protect it. I heard more gunshots. Hunter had a head start on Anne while she was making me take cover. I heard three more shots and then everything was quiet. I felt horrified and useless. I didn't know what was going on. I was left to cower in fear while Anne and Hunter took care of things. I could hear the sound of nocturnal insects from the now open warehouse door. I could hear shoes on grass and concrete. All clear, Anne half yelled back to me from outside. There were two of them. No Edgar, Hunter said. I leapt to my feet and hurried outside with the bag that Anne had given me. I turned on my flashlight and looked around for Edgar. He's okay, I asked. I knew that the area outside of the warehouse was quite similar to the place in the photograph that I had been sent of Edgar's corpse. This ambush could have easily been the one that returned that result. I didn't see him. He's not here, Hunter said. 
What do you mean not here? I asked. I watched him vanish, Hunter said. Someone moved him right before he would have been killed. Hunter turned to look at me. Was that your plan? Did you do that? No, that was not our plan, Anne answered for me. We have no way of doing that. If we did, we would have a much better plan, I promise you. I don't know who would do that or why. Maybe they thought that he had the device on him, I said, holding up the bag that Anne had handed me. And he would have had it if he had been the only person here, if we weren't holding it for him. That makes sense. The shooters and whoever transported Edgar both might have thought that Edgar was carrying the device, Anne said. Mike, do you recognize these guys? She pointed her flashlight to her left where one person was sprawled out, dead, postured much as Edgar had been in the photograph. Then she pointed it to the right, where another person similarly lay dead. They were both wearing hard plastic masks like the Arbiter had been at Donnie Evans' house, except these masks were black and not red. That's what the Arbiter looked like, I said. Mike, you check this guy with me. Hunter, you take that one. And just tell me if you find anything. A plan, an earpiece, anything at all. Anne said. Hunter nodded, went over to the body on Anne's right, and began to check it. We did the same with the body on the left. Anne knelt down by the corpse. Moment of truth, and it is... Anne pulled up the mask. Do you recognize this guy, Mikey? She lifted his head up so that I could see better. I studied his face. His eyes stared blankly ahead like Edgar's had in the photo his expression limp but somehow terrified at the same time, like any other body I had ever seen. I looked at him, trying to remember if I recognized him, from over, from the Flinchite compound, from anywhere. Doesn't ring a bell, I'm afraid, I said. She laid his head back down and started going through his pockets. I helped her search. After a few seconds of looking, I found something in one of his pants pockets. I thought it was a cell phone at first, but upon further inspection, it was clearly something that wasn't mass-manufactured. It looked more like a graphing calculator, bulky and with a low-resolution screen and physical buttons. It appeared to be on and functional, at least according to a green LED light on the front of the device. The screen displayed characters in code, variables that I had no way of understanding, a language that I didn't speak. I held it up to show Anne. Any idea what this is? I asked. She looked at it, pondering. It's definitely something, she concluded. Throw it in the bag. We can tinker with it later. I did as she said. Hey, uh, we heard Hunter say from the other side of the doorway. His voice was shaky. I, I, uh, know this guy. I shone my flashlight over to where he was. He was kneeling beside the corpse, mask lifted up to see his face. The same type of device that we had found was sitting in the grass beside them. All of the color was gone from Hunter's face. I walked over to see for myself. My eyes widened in surprise and fear. Hunter, I said, this is... I caught myself. Okay, so this is Ty Betteridge, I said. I was looking at the face of Ty Betteridge, the man responsible for directing me in the Flinchite compound, at least a decade younger than the Ty Betteridge that I knew, but entirely deceased. I looked at Hunter, puzzled. Could he be mistaken? Yeah, Hunter said. I could hear the shock in his voice. I killed Ty Betteridge. Fuck, Mike. I killed Ty. Ty from 116E. That Ty. Oh my god, Mike. Why was he out here? Why did he have that thing on him? Why was he shooting at Edgar? Ty from 116E? I asked. What are you talking about? Ty. Him and Edgar started around the same time. That Ty. He does interfacing in 116E? Fuck, Mike. He's so young. Why was he shooting at us? Hunter said. I could see him losing his grip, realizing that he had just killed someone that he knew. I didn't have the capacity to console him or to get him back on track, 
I was still grappling with Hunter knowing Ty at all. I looked again to make sure. It was definitely Ty Betteridge, the Ty Betteridge that I knew, minus a few years. It was an unmistakable likeness. This was not a strange coincidence of names. It was Ty. Ty from the Flinchite compound. Ty from apparently 116E. Hunter and I were somehow thinking of the same person. I don't know Ty from 116E, I said. A future version of this guy took me hostage. You're telling me he worked at Over? Hunter didn't answer. He seemed unwilling to engage with my questions. Hey, Anne, can I get some help over here? I called out, hoping that Anne's wartime experience would be helpful in getting Hunter back to his feet. Anne walked over to us and handed me a gun. Here, Mikey, courtesy of that guy. She pointed at the corpse that we had searched together. Just don't hit us or yourself with it, okay, hotshot? Anne, can you help with him? He knows that guy, I said solemnly. She nodded. Her solemnity met mine, and then she knelt down to speak to Hunter face to face. She kept her voice low and calm. Hunter, they were shooting at us. You would be dead if you hadn't shot back. We all would be. You saved our lives, she said. You need to stay with us. Deep breaths. This isn't over yet. Edgar is missing, and we haven't made it to the boulders yet. We aren't safe here, okay? Stay with us. Deep breaths. Look at me. We're going to get through this but we're going to have to power through. You're going to be okay, but we need to hurry. Can you come with us? Hunter muttered a mm-hmm, but he didn't seem ready to go yet. I don't know how many people Innocent Hunter had killed up to that point. It might have been zero. Ty Betteridge might have been the first man that he ever killed. I picked up the device that was in the grass and put it in the bag. It was identical to the device that we had taken off of the other corpse. We need to go, Hunter, I said sternly. We're gonna get behind getting to the boulders. I looked at my watch. Fuck, we're already behind. We're two minutes behind. We need to get there ASAP. Hunter, get up. Anne, can you get him up? Hunter didn't move. Anne sort of shrugged. Against my better judgment, I lost my patience. Hunter, Edgar is missing. We can't sit here and mourn my kidnapper. I said. Anne shot me an angry glance. I started walking towards the boulders, high on adrenaline and worry. Mike! Anne exclaimed through gritted teeth at me. The sounds of her and Hunter got quieter as I walked towards the boulders. This was obviously a hot-headed mistake, but I could feel my feet moving without me directing them. Ty wasn't going to come back to life no matter how long they sat there. Edgar was missing, and we weren't safe. I assumed that they would be right behind me anyway, as soon as Hunter got himself together. I made my way to the boulders. A few minutes later, I arrived, alone. I didn't know if Anne and Hunter would be catching up to me. Taking refuge in the darkness, I looked into the area with the device port. I didn't see anyone. I wasn't expecting to. If anyone was there, they were lying in wait to ambush Edgar. Edgar wasn't there either. I had hoped that whoever had transported him had moved him to the next part of the instructions, for him to plug the device in. The hope that he would be there when I got there was the reason that my feet couldn't stop moving, even though I was leaving Anne and Hunter behind. He wasn't there. The area was empty. I looked around, but there were too many places to hide. I couldn't check them all for intruders. I still had the bag with the device in it. From where I was hiding, I could see the device port and the box that supplied power to it. They were intact, much to my surprise. I didn't understand. I had mangled it beyond all recognition less than 24 hours prior. How had it already been repaired? Who repaired it? Over? Why would Anne tell me to destroy it if it was going to be functional again by the time the mission started? What was the point? I turned around and looked for Anne and Hunter in the darkness, but couldn't see them. 
I assured myself that they were on their way, but I didn't have the patience to wait for them. I left the safety of the darkness and made my way through the boulders to the device port. Up close, I could confirm that not only was the port repaired, it was brand new. It had none of the signs of wear of the elements that I had seen when I destroyed it. Someone had entirely replaced it between the night before and the night of. I looked at my watch. Three minutes remained to decide whether or not to activate the device as Edgar had been instructed to do. I pulled the device out of the bag and sat it on the ground. I connected the two long wires on either side of the device to both sides of the port. It shocked me both times, akin in strength to a strong static shock. Not that bad, considering what I knew it was capable of. Seconds crawled by. I pointed the antenna of the device behind my right shoulder and into Tier 3. I heard a sound in the distance back the way that I came from. I couldn't tell if it was Hunter and Anne, or the normal sounds of Tier 2 security at night. I continued to look around helplessly for Edgar. He just wasn't there. If he had been there, he would have come out and helped me. I heard another sound from the way that I came from. More seconds crawled by. I looked at my watch. Twelve seconds remained. There was nothing left to do except to push the button on the device. A better option never presented itself. Two seconds. One. Zero. I pushed the button. The light on the device came on. Electricity visibly coursed through the port across its length, with nothing to hide or temper it. Before I could move out of the way, I felt a painful shock go through my body. My expectation of the shock did not limit the pain. I fell to my knees and attempted to crawl away from the device before it could shock me again. Everything went black for a moment. After a few seconds, I realized that everything was still black, but I had returned to consciousness. I could feel something touching my face, a bag of some sort, blinding me. It was at this point that I felt something press into my back, a gun. I put my hands up in surrender. I can't believe Ty wants you alive, dumb fuck, a voice said. The person spat on the ground beside me. He sounded familiar, but I couldn't figure out from where. Ty, I asked. Ty's dead in the grass over there. Ty's not here, the man said indignantly. He's not field ops. He has no reason to be here. My friend killed him not 15 minutes ago, I said. You've got a mouth, he said. He pistol-whipped me in the back of the head, admittedly not as funny as a butt stroke. I fell to the ground, conscious but woozy. That one's for Kyrgyzstan, he said. I realized where I knew the voice from. He hit me again, and that's for kidnapping me in the first place. You're lucky you're an asset, shithead. It was supposed to send you to Kazakhstan. I groaned. Shut the fuck up, he said. As soon as the signal goes through, we're out of here. I heard the beep of a walkie-talkie. F1 and F3, copy? He said. We have the bear and the bird song. Repeat, the bear and the bird song. Extraction is incoming. What's your 20? Over. Everything was silent after he sent out the message. There was no reply from the other end. I could hear the electricity still arcing from the device port. Where is Edgar? The man and I said in unison. He's not with you? He asked. You kidnapped him, I said belligerently. Are you serious? He's not out there hiding in the bushes somewhere? He asked. No, there's no one out there. Go ahead and put your guard all the way down, I said. I was beginning to feel concussed. God damn it, he replied. I heard him press the button on the walkie-talkie again. F1, F3, do you have eyes on the panther? We need him prior to extraction. Could have used you at the bear trap. What's your 20? Over. He said. The other end of the line remained silent. Playing military operator, I grumbled. Extraction imminent, what's a 20 on Alpha Mu Sigma? Give me a break, dude. Shut the fuck up, he said. I wonder where your friends are, I mumbled. Where they are is going to be their own damn problem here in a minute, he said. 
That's no way to treat a friend, I said. My head was throbbing. Before he could respond, there was a crash of metal against metal. It was loud, almost like a car crash. I could see light pouring into the area through what I could now see was a burlap sack that had been placed over my head. I felt the flinchite turn his gun away from my back for a moment to point it at the source of the light. Seizing an opportunity for freedom, I pulled the sack off of my head and tackled him to the ground, punching him in the head as I did so. He loosened his grip on the gun, allowing me to disarm him in the process. I finally got a good look at him. It was indeed the same flinchite that I had sent to Kazakhstan or Kyrgyzstan or wherever. The calm and cool he displayed when I interrogated him apparently lost in the travel. He wriggled underneath me, but I pinned him down with my weight. I pulled the Arbiter's gun from my holster and in one smooth motion, aimed it at the flinchite's head and squeezed the trigger. I did not give myself time to conceptualize what I was doing or deliberate on its ethics. I felt the recoil and heard the report of the bullet. The flinchite immediately ceased resisting and went limp under me. I scrambled to my feet, hardly having time to process what I had just done. I looked over toward the source of the light. It was coming from the barrier between the two tiers. The wire fence that had served as the barrier between Tier 1 and the boulders had been crumpled and smashed, leaving a wide open hole between the two areas. Inside of that opening was a Tier 1 patrol cart, which must have been driven at maximum speed in order to create that amount of mechanical carnage. One person was inside of the cart, in the driver's seat, face obscured by the lighting. Another person had exited the cart and was standing in front of its headlights, backlighting him. It was Edgar. The person still in the cart began to extricate it from the wreckage as Edgar walked toward me. Edgar! I bleated. He made eye contact with me, but then walked past me to the device port with confidence, as though he understood the mission, as though he suddenly knew exactly what he was supposed to do. I looked in his hands. His over-issued service weapon was in one hand. A metal rectangular object with a handle protruding from its center was in the other. He holstered his weapon as he strode up to the device port and readied the object in his other hand. I may as well have not been there at all. He was singularly focused on the device port. Edgar ripped the modem-like device out of the port, the light leaving the device as it powered off. Electricity arced and coursed through Edgar's body. I winced in sympathetic pain. Before he could even recover from the shock, he raised the rectangular metal key and stuck it into the device port. It shocked him a second time, rendering him unable to remove his hand from the key for several seconds. Once his hand was free, he left the device in the port. The electricity was still visibly arcing as he stepped away. He was still standing, but noticeably shaken and a bit unstable. I approached him and pulled him away from the electricity in order to prevent him from getting shocked further. I heard footsteps approaching from the distance. You found Edgar? Anne's voice called out from the distance. Something like that. Where the fuck have you two been? I shouted back. As Hunter and Anne got closer, I could see that they were covered in blood. Fucking killing two guys, Anne said. Two more guys, I mean. She looked down at the corpse of the flinchite in front of Edgar and I. And that makes three, she said. By chance, does he happen to be one of the three that attacked you in your cabin? Yeah, but how did you know that? I asked. The other two tried to get the slip on me and Hunter. They're the same ones that attacked me, so I recognize them, she said. <clears throat> we need to leave, Edgar said, wincing. Marissa. Marissa? Hunter asked. Edgar gestured at the cart that had crashed through the fence. A fucking course it's Marissa, I said. We hurried over to the patrol cart. Edgar leaned on me for strength. I helped him into the front seat, and Anne and I got into the back. Hunter stood on the outside of the fence for a moment, observing the mayhem that had occurred inside of Tier 2. Then, without saying a word, he reached in his pocket and pulled out the button. He pressed the button and it began to emit a horrible screech, just as it had the night that my button had been activated. He lobbed it like a hand grenade into the boulder region of Tier 2. It landed unceremoniously on the ground. 
For a few seconds, it did nothing but screech. Then, without warning, the fence between tiers 1 and 2 popped back into existence, fully repaired, as though Marissa had never driven through it. It was difficult to tell from the outside if anything else had changed. Hunter ran back to the cart and got in the back with Anne and I. That was in my training, but I haven't ever done it before, Hunter said. But I know that it's going to take a lot of paperwork and fieldwork in order to make that retroactively happen. He looked at me. And you are going to assist with that work, understand? I agreed. Edgar tells me that you've had quite the night, Marissa said. Did you have fun blowing up 357A, Mikey? What are you talking about? I asked. Mike, the device, Edgar said. You blew up 357A tonight. The instructions said to point it into Tier 3. What did you think that you were doing? Anne asked. Did you not figure it out? I don't know if I care or not, I said. And I definitely have a concussion, so... Poor baby Mikey, Edgar said. Just wait until you hear about the year that I've had. Anne, may we use your accommodations as headquarters while we debrief? Sure. Are you okay, Edgar? Anne asked. Well, I think that my heart stopped beating, but it's beating now, Edgar said. If that constitutes okay, I'm just glad to be back. We can discuss everything at your place. Finally! Mikey never let me in on the fun espionage, Marissa said. How could you not include me after I figured out how to get the front door to 116E open? Rude. Thankfully, Edgar showed up at my door tonight with the plan. You're welcome, by the way. I would have been so jealous if you left me out again. We sped into the darkness, out of Tier 1, past the main gate, and into our destiny.
Spark plug, when does season five start? Spark plug, when does season five start? Huh? No, that's incorrect. It's it's December fifteenth. No, I can't I can't tell them that. That's incorrect. They'll tune in on the wrong date. It's December fifteenth. I swear. Don't listen to her. <laughs>